Hey, listeners, welcome back to another episode of the PBL Playbook. We're on episode five of our six A's series, talking about the six A's of PBL. A number five is applied learning, and today we've got Laura Burbrink on to talk about that A. We're really excited to have Laura back on our podcast. Um, She is a UDL coach uh, for our school district. And um, in addition to that, she's had experience as a PBL facilitator in elementary school. She facilitated sixth grade math for us. Um, But she also has a really unique perspective because she has had uh, four of her children go through the PBL pathway um, and and experience PBL, not only from a facilitator um, and teacher standpoint, but from a parent. And she's got really great um, perspectives on everything PBL. And so we're excited to have her and talk a little bit about applied learning with her today. If you like the music you're hearing on our podcast, this band is called Attaboy and this is their song Waking Up. You can find the link to their Spotify in our show notes, so check them out if you're liking this song. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the PBL Playbook, brought to you by Magnify Learning, where we equip teachers with project-based learning tools today so they can engage and empower their students for the future. This podcast will give you the playbook of real PBL facilitators in the classroom, just like you, and help bring you strategies and tools for your PBL game. Now, here are your PBL Playbook hosts, Josh and Andrea. Gotta find a better way. Welcome back to another episode of the PBL Playbook. We're getting close to the end of our 6A series. Today, we are going to be talking about applied learning. Um, Our guest today is Laura Burbrink, who works in our school, in our district in Columbus, Indiana. She is a UDL coach. Laura, will you introduce yourself and your background in in PBL and education for our listeners? Sure. Um, Again, my name is Laura Burbrink. And I have worked in the school district um, with multiple roles since 2005. Um, My background in PBL is when the district um, started banding, you know, kind of bantering this idea around um, back in the early 2000s. I was on the front end of that um, on the elementary level, um, looking at different strategies and how we might put that together. Um, And then I continued at the admin building for a while um, in that role and then switched over Uh, in 2011 and actually taught PBL um, in a sixth grade classroom for many years uh, before I became the UDL coach here, uh, one of the UDL coaches here at BCSC. Thanks, Laura. We're we're really excited to have you back on the podcast. You've had not only the experience as a facilitator, but as a parent um, of students who've gone through PBL, and so we're really excited to hear your perspective. Uh, today's episode is all about applied learning. That's one of the six A's that we're going to kind of narrow in and focus on today. And um, just for our listeners who aren't familiar with the six A's rubric, um, applied learning, some of the indicators on that rubric um, in the advanced level would be that students apply knowledge to a new 
Uh, apply new knowledge to a realistic and complex problem. Students use multiple high-performance work organization skills like working in teams, using technology, communicating with others, collecting and organizing data. Um, and students use self-management skills such as developing a work plan, prioritizing pieces of work, meeting deadlines, et cetera, to improve their team's performance. So when we think about applied learning, um, what does that mean when we take away the, some of the jargon, but in, in general terms, what do you think that means to you when it comes to like teaching and learning in a PBL setting? So for me, um, when I think just, you know, what is the basic definition? That would be um, giving students raw content and then directly applying it, but authentically. Um, and so learning through experiencing um, real life problems where you have to take uh, lots of critical thinking and work through those. Um, and especially, I think the key component to the applied learning is that when students are learning and working in that authentic setting, um, the why is self-evident, the why they're doing it. Um, and then that becomes empowering to them to dig even deeper. So that, that would be my core definition of what applied meetings to what applied learning means to me in the classroom. Yeah, I think getting to the why is always so important. Um, I, you know, as a history teacher, I get that a lot. Like, why do I need to know about these things? And so embedding that right into the project and making sure they understand here's why we need to know this or here's why we need this skill. Um, so, you know, thinking about the some of the points on that rubric, they really get into like collaboration and working in teams and um pieces of agency, which are, you know, setting, setting and meeting deadlines, setting goals, things like that. How do we make sure some of those skills are embedded into the project and really flow with the content? So for me, um, in the UDL position, I typically always go back to that UDL framework where we're looking um, at engagement and representation um, and action and expression. And so this really goes into that engagement piece um, so if we're going to make sure that it's insured, then that kind of that starts at the beginning when you're in that class setup and your structure. It can it can be at the beginning of the year or it can be at a specific time where you look at that and you start intentionally building those pieces in at the ground level. Um, and then as you're going through the projects, once you have that culture where they're making sure that all those pieces that you're making sure all those pieces have been built in. Um, giving the opportunity for choice um, and self-direction in some of those contextual pieces for the, for the students. Absolutely. And, and we've talked on, on this podcast numerous times about the importance of kind of giving students that voice and choice and being able to, to do that, but also just to, to make sure that um, the, the learning and the engagement is authentic, you know, um, when, when kids hear, so at, at Columbus Signature Academy, we have our gradebook set up so that collaboration agency written and oral communication aren't just like these extra items, but they're actually part of their overall final grade. And, and when kids hear that and when other people hear that, they, they kind of think, well, how are you supposed to put, like, how are you supposed to grade collaboration? How are you supposed to do all of this if I'm supposed to also cover these content skills and, and make sure that I'm assessing, you know, my history content or my math content or, or whatever. And so it's like, teachers sometimes panic, like, how do I do that and not make it feel like it's just like adding one more thing to my plate, you know, an extra a la carte piece of my classroom? Like, how do we make sure that it's, it's really embedded in those classroom settings and not just extra stuff that we have to do? 
Mm-hmm. And I agree. I think it goes back to that authentic piece um, where you have to have the skills for it to be necessary to complete the project well. So depending on what the project is, um, there's going to have to be oral communication portions in there in order for the, the project to be completed well. So where it makes sense, that's where you start building those strengths in for those. Um, and then I think as educators, we have to make sure that our intentionality goes back to scaffolding. A lot of times we think about, oh, we have to make sure we scaffold all the content pieces, but really looking at how do we intentionally teach organization how do we intentionally teach project management um, and go back? Because a lot of our kids that come in PBL may not have started um, in elementary level. They may have come to us as the first year as a sophomore. So really looking at building those in, those learning environments for each student, meeting them where they are um, and teaching those skills intentionally, but where they make sense um, in the project. Um, and then one thing that, that when we when it makes it easier to build those things in is when we start really listening to that student voice um, and give opportunities for them to share what their challenges are in the pro, in the projects, um, the multiple perspectives that they bring to the projects. Because when those projects are are more humanized or more authentic, then um, it's easier to pull in those pieces um, where they fit naturally. And then it's not, doesn't feel like an add-on. It feels like uh, a necessity to to have the project come together. Yeah, and one of my favorite stories that, it's not my project, but it's it's one that we hear about at our school. Um, And I think you kind of, you touched on it. Like we can't just expect kids to know how to collaborate. Um, And so in our first year, uh, our building was open. Our our principal and some of our facilitators like to share this story. Um, They did a project and they got ready and they had community partners ready to um, go on presentation day. And, um, you know, one of the the early presentations, they get up, they hook their computer up to the um, projector and the title of their presentation is, is why we failed. And so there's this moment of panic in the facilitators because they're thinking, oh my gosh, what is this going to be? Like, you know, how's it going to go? And the presentation goes on and the the kids in the presentation go on to talk about, um, you know, personal accountability, like why the the group failed themselves, but also accountability for the facilitators. And they went on to explain like, you know, you said we needed to be in groups and you said we needed to be able to collaborate, but you never taught us how to do that. And I think it's so important for facilitators and PBL to remember if you're going to assess uh, a skill, um, and in this case, collaboration or oral communication or agency, like taking ownership of your own learning, you've got to build in the scaffolding and the pieces to, to support them with that. We can't just expect kids to know how to be organized. Even if they're you know, a senior in high school, um, there's a possibility that they've gone you know, 11 years without really having a solid organization system. So being able to provide them with those options for for being organized or those options for communicating is really important. And then over the course of the year, as you've developed that with with any good scaffolding, you can take some of that scaffolding away and hope that the kids can stand on their own because they've they've had those pieces. And I think it's so important to remember that as we develop um, these employability skills, these 21st century leadership skills that it in authentic application of that is getting them into those settings where they're collaborating and they're writing and they have to organize, but we have to also provide support. And I think it's really important as facilitators for us to remember that. 
So one thing that we hear at our workshops, um, a, a question that we get a lot of the times are from specific content areas that um, maybe in a more traditional classroom, some of the skills like oral communication, written communication don't come up um, naturally in some of those curricula. So when we're thinking about a math classroom or a science classroom or, or even a history classroom who is trying to move towards PBL, um, what advice do you have for them for incorporating some of those skills to, to fit a little bit no, more naturally in that content area? So for me, it, it goes back and mirrors a little bit of what I've said before. Um, it's giving the options that make sense. Um, and so what you would look when you look at a project and you're looking at these skills as a mathematician, maybe like if we're focusing on math class or science class, then you start really thinking about how would a person in the field use oral communication or how would a person in the field use written communication? And if that's not your strong suit, my advice would be reach out to someone in, you know, that's in that field and say on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, how do you use oral communication skills to um, help have people understand what you're working on or, or give pieces of your projects um, out there so that so that you can um, describe them or how would that work or how do you use written communication on a daily basis and then bring that back into the project because then that just ups the level of authenticity. Um, and when you look at your standards um, here in the state of Indiana or wherever state you're from, um, they use verbs like show or demonstrate and that doesn't always have to go back to what might be a typical way, like a Google slide presentation or a student standing in front of the class presenting to everyone or uh, writing a five-page essay. So when you look at those verbs, then you can start brainstorming and asking the students, how can we demonstrate? How can we show? Um, I talked to so-and-so at this particular company and this is how they do it. How can we make our project authentically match what they would do? So that, that would be my advice to teachers is, really look for the authentic piece. And if you're falling short and really struggling, reach out to someone that's in the field. Yeah, I think that's that's really great advice. And I, I love, especially for, I mean, actually any age level, asking kids, like looking at the standard or the rubric and kind of dissecting it. Like, what does it mean to show that? I think, you know, as we talk about assessment in a future episode, that's the next A that we'll be tackling after this. Um, that's the, the key of assessment is like, how do we let kids demonstrate that they've mastered these, these, um, these skills? And they're going to have some ideas for, for being able to show that. And I think back, I think back to when I, um, when I had a calculus class, and this is the first class that I kind of used this in, but I, I actually took my inspiration from like rounds at a hospital. Like, so you know, for those of you who watched, and I should say rounds from a hospital on a TV show that I, I watched. I don't know. I've never been in a hospital, but I mean, you, you know, you, you see these doctors who go around to have patients, they look at the problem and then they talk about it, right? Like someone's in charge of kind of saying, all right, this is my patient. This is what's going on. Here's, here's what's going on. And so I kind of um, try to set up something like that with calculus, where we were looking at a problem, like this is a problem that I worked on, I studied, here's what's going on, here's how I did it. And sometimes they were stuck. And so it's like, all right, here's where I got stuck. And then the, the group can kind of do that. And that would become kind of a, a regular practice in my classroom. And it was an oral communication piece. So like I could go around, maybe I don't get to every presentation that day, but I get to four or five. And so then I have you know, evidence from those four or five who are talking about their problem. And then I also have the students reflect on that. So I think it's a really, um, a really powerful way to, to, to be creative in that. And, and kids, I think, 
enjoyed that much better than doing the same type of thing where they had a problem, even with a partner and they had to present in front of the whole class. Like it got old, but when they went into these groups, they got excited. They found a, a whiteboard and they went through and solved the problems. And I, I think it was really effective. Um, so as we kind of think about that, that final question, which is, you know, how do we make sure that our students are not only um, exposed to these things, but developing their skills, mastering these skills throughout the, the course of our project or throughout the course of the year. Um, how, how do we make sure that that's happening? So, I, you know, you always look at that baseline data, how, when students come into your environment, um, where they are on the particular skills that you're going to assess, um, and then taking that and then building intentional rubrics. I think is just really the key where you can watch growth and not every rubric has to be word for word the same because you want those to, to go with the ebb and flow of your projects, but pieces of that where you can watch growth over the year and, or even just, you know, quarter by quarter. Um, and then that also can become a reflection piece for that student where you can bring out, you know, those hard copies or those digital copies of, of their rubrics and then they can watch the growth or maybe they can see where in one project, they were super strong in one particular aspect, maybe of oral communication or the delivery of, of things. And then, then maybe the next project, and they can assess those um, and look for that and, and say, well, why well, think that because um, so making sure that that real intentional and authentic reflection is in there along with that student voice. Um, and so we can create those rubrics ourselves as educators. Um, we can look at our projects and we can think this is great. Um, but I always challenge um teachers and facilitators to build portions of those rubrics together because that builds the class culture. Um, and it also lets them have a voice in what their success is going to be or what their success will look like in the end. Um, and then I think another piece that really tells us if it's authentic learning and if our students are going in the direction that these workability skills that you really want to have or employability skills um, is invite community members to either be a part of the um, construction of those rubrics or just have a part a voice in looking them over and giving some feedback and then bringing that feedback back to the classroom. So I think that would could give you some um, authentic ideas if they're mastering those skills throughout the projects. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And I think this goes back to something that has come up um, in all of our episodes of the six A series is that none of these A's are um, isolated, right? They all work together. Um, and so you brought up, you know, just now authenticity and providing uh, opportunities for kids that are authentic for them to apply that learning. So we're answering that why. The adult connections, bringing in community partners to say, hey, when do you use this in, you know, in your job in the field? Um, you know, having those partners help contribute to the rubrics, having students help contribute to the rubric. So I think it just, you know, that really uh, hammers down that, yes, these six A's are all pieces that we want to make sure that we are focused on and incorporating, but they all live together. Um, so I think that's, that's some great advice. Um, is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with as we start to wrap up with, with applied learning? I just think if I had one statement is just to always go back and think about um, when you are really considering applied learning, that the authenticity is there and that your why is always self-evident. Um, and so that, those would be the words I would leave you with today. 
Thank you for those words and, and your time, Laura. We really appreciate you being on our podcast. All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Ready, break. Thanks again for joining Josh and Andrea for the PBL Playbook, where we give you the playbook of real PBL facilitators in the classroom just like you and help bring you strategies and tools for your PBL game. If you want to reach the pod, you can tweet at AskGIEBS, at MissB103, and at MagnifyLearning. Or you can email the PBL Playbook at MagnifyLearningN.org with any questions, thoughts, or ideas you have. Also be sure to show Josh and Andrea some PBL love by rating, reviewing, and sharing the PBL Playbook with other educators. Yeah.